We have been um, in this conversation about prayers, um, and as I've as I've said, I'm I'm kind of a slow learner when it comes to prayer. Um, I don't want a list of instructions. I want a picture. Draw me a picture so I can understand it better. So we've actually been looking at passages of scripture where people have been praying, and um, uh, we, since since this is a Christian church, it seems appropriate that at some point we should actually look and see some prayers that Jesus prayed. So we're going to look at one today. Um, when I first thought about where where can I fit uh, uh, some Jesus into this sermon series, I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I could I could look at the Lord's Prayer. It's familiar; people know it. But the problem is, it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot to unpack in one message. So I decided that was too much, um, and and that in turn made me think about John's um, gospel because John has got this great big block of words Jesus speaks um, the night before he's arrested. And it begins in chapter 13 and goes all the way to the end of chapter 17, where we just read. And when they when they came to that block of words, uh, they looked at it and they said, uh, about a thousand years ago, they put the chapter marks in the in the Bible, and they said, okay, um, it seems like all of this section here of this big big speech that Jesus makes is a prayer. So we're just going to call that chapter 17. So they just arbitrarily broke it and they said, this is chapter 17. And so this whole chapter is one prayer. That Jesus makes, and because because it's so long, and because reading John is always seems like uh, drinking from a fire hose, um, I feel much more comfortable taking a tiny piece of this prayer than I do from the Lord's Prayer. How do you how do you pick which of the Lord's Prayer to to, to preach on? So we're going to be looking at John's John's uh, the, this prayer that John records in his Gospel. Um, there's another reason though that I want it, not just because it's short or it's actually long, but it's it's so long I feel comfortable taking a piece out of it. Um, the other reason is because it's about us. You know, it, it's fascinating to me that the last prayer Jesus is recorded as praying before he goes to the cross is about you and me. It's not about his disciples there in the upper room with him or or uh, other concerns that were going on. He actually looked forward down through the life of the church and prayed about you and me. And so I think that that makes it worthy of study in, in and of itself. So uh, what I want to do is I want to look at it very quickly and and talk about the, the, the question that it raises when we look at it. Because Jesus prays something about us. He says this. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, the people who were there with him that night, um, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. When they go out into the world and they start telling people about me, um, there are future disciples that are going to be made because of what they talk about. So he says, I pray not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. And then he prays a specific, uh, he has one specific request. He says, that they may be one. He says, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, he says that, that, uh, God the Father and God the Son have some inner relatedness that is, is, uh, they're, they're one inside the other. You know, if you try to draw a Venn diagram, they'd overlap or something. So, so God the Father and God the Son are like this. And he says, may they, those future disciples, all my disciples, be one with us. So, so that's what he's, he's praying for. And he says, he says, that will serve a purpose. May they also be in us. And if that happens, then a purpose will be served. And he says that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so, so this 
This is the thing that Jesus prayed. He goes on and we'll talk about that. But the, the question I have when I get to that is I say, did Jesus get his prayer granted? Was, was this last prayer that Jesus prayed before going to the cross, did God the Father grant that prayer? Because it's not obvious that he did. Um, I have, I have a picture here. Um, uh, if, if you switch to the next picture. So, so this is Anchorage. We've all seen it before. And I, what I want to do is kind of zoom in on our little neck of the woods. Okay. Because we're more familiar with this. So this is the, the 99502 zip code. And I don't know how well you can see it, um, from, from your seat, but that's where we are. We're at the corner of Strawberry and Jewel Lake Parish, uh, Jewel Lake uh, Road. And that's our church. And then, uh, the problem is that there's a whole bunch of other churches. If you look around, there's all kinds of churches. I think of this as as kind of our neck of the woods. This is our mission field. This is our neighborhood, Sand Lake. It's about um, uh, 20,000 people. And there's 17 faith communities in, in that block of, of real estate. 17, 17 faith communities. I, I included up at the top there, you can see that's Change Point up there by the uh, uh, intersection. And um, uh, down in the, the corner, I, I put um, City Church because they're so close to Minnesota. But I just tried to say between between International Airport and Minnesota and the water, that's kind of us. That's kind of our neighborhood. Uh, that's where most of us come from. And so so there are 17 churches just in that chunk of Anchorage and then, uh, uh, many, many more throughout the rest of the, the uh, community, far more than is needed by the number of people who actually attend those churches. So we are divided. Um, I could have added some more. I could have added the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just down the street from here or the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, I decided not to include those on the map because the, the, the way that they understand uh, Jesus and, and, and who he was and what he did is so different from all the other churches in that map. It's, it, it's, it's a place where, where most of uh, the other churches would say, we would, can you back up? So we could have had, we could have included these other faith communities, the other worshiping communities, but, but you, you have to kind of make some boundaries at some point, and, and so I excluded them, but that's a dangerous thing to do, because if you start excluding churches based on, on their differences, well, that's, that's an easy thing to do. I mean, I could, I could easily exclude Sand Lake Baptist from the list, because they have a different understanding of, of baptism than, than we do in our church. Or I could exclude Gloria Day Lutheran because they have a different understanding of the Lord's Supper than we do. I could exclude Calvary Assembly of God because they have a different understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today than we do. I could exclude the Roman Catholic Church, St. Benedict's down the road, because I could say they have a different understanding of church governance and they have a different understanding of the role of Scripture, the supremacy or the the, the authority of Scripture. So if you start drawing lines, then pretty soon you'll, you'll have, you'll have achieved unity by excluding everybody else. So, so I wanted to be careful about how, how big of a group do we say is, is disunited as opposed to they don't even, they don't even get in the same category to be united or not. So that's one way of looking at the problem of did Jesus get what he prayed for? But there's another way of looking at it. So, Alexander gave you a sneak preview, but I wanted to show you another picture. This is what I did this weekend. Um, I went to the, uh, or this past week, it was a thousand years this week. So um, I went to uh, uh, Birchwood, which is a beautiful place, and I participated in the uh, the um, Alaska United Methodist Conference um, 
professional church workers retreat and fall rendezvous. So I'm learning my Methodist lingo. And I know uh, if you look at the picture, they look like they're having a lot of fun. They look like a bunch of Presbyterians. But um, Methodists, Methodists sometimes actually kind of cut loose. I've got a picture of uh, Carlo here. Um, this is Carlo learning how to dance Samoan style from um, uh, one of the Samoan congregations. So I know Methodists sometimes cut loose and show you their moves. But um, uh, I have, just for, for reference, uh, Carlo has a, has a rough counterpart um, uh, in Kurt Carnes, who is the executive presbyter. And he's not dancing there, but maybe he dances sometimes. I don't know. But um, so uh, so Kurt is is not quite the same as Carlo, and that's part of our part of our condition. We disagree about how churches should be governed. Um, Methodists think you have bishops and you have uh, district superintendents. Uh, Presbyterians say you have committees and committees, and then also some committees. And um, and Kurt oversees a lot of those committees. So um, so we have different understandings about about church governance, and. And so, so we, we have disagreements kind of on the abstract plane. But when I was at this meeting and I heard uh, uh, the Bishop Grant talk about what's going on in the Methodist church and I heard Carlo and some of my peers in the, the Methodist clergy talking about uh, what's going on in that denomination, what I heard was a lot of uh, concern about uh, schism or, or church splitting. Um, and uh, the bishop addressed that. Uh, he said that there's, he doesn't think that there's going to be a church split he says there's probably about 50 large and vocal churches that have kind of drawn a line in the sand, and they said, here's, here's as far as we can go on, on questions about human sexuality, and if you go any further, the church has to split. And the bishop says, well, that may happen, that may not, that's going to be in 2016 in the, general, uh, the Methodist General Conference. But he says he doesn't see that so much as a church split as uh, uh, some congregations leaving the denomination as opposed to a a split down the middle or something like that. So maybe that'll be the case. Maybe the Methodists will hold things together. But but the Presbyterians, it's not even a question. The Presbyterian denomination is is uh, breaking apart. It's it's uh, already broken apart. Our own Presbytery of Yukon, we lost uh, two years ago. We lost First Fairbanks. Um, and uh, during the, the past two years, um, I think 10 churches from Presbytery of Alaska. So the chain, uh, uh, Juno and the other southeast uh, communities, they, six churches left for a different denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. And as a result, that presbytery was no longer, no longer had sufficient numbers to be a, uh, a presbytery. And it had to reaffiliate, and it did so with Puget Sound. So with the Presbytery of Puget Sound. So, um, so we've already experienced the, the reality of the, the Presbyterian church is disintegrating, um, right in our own, in our own context. And it's happening across the country as well. So these raise the question, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed a specific thing for us that we would be one. And yet when we look around, when we drive through town or whether we pick up our denominational newspaper, we see the same question. Is that true? The, the thing that Jesus saved for last, the prayer that he prayed right before going to the cross, was about us. And we have to ask the question, was his request granted? So what I want to do is, uh, um, actually I should, I should share with you, there's, there's, one more, there's one more layer of this, um, and these are numbers, so bear with me. Uh, you know, we talk about churches leaving, we talk about 
uh, uh, denominations splitting. But there's another reality, the way churches split. And that's that somebody walks out the door on Sunday and doesn't come back the following Sunday. And you can never figure out exactly all the reasons people do that. Sometimes it's it's because of other things going on in their life or other things going on in the church. But in conversations I've had with my peers in the Presbyterian Church, uh, it's a it's a universal refrain. I lost this couple. Um, these people had been to my house. They'd eaten dinner at my house, and they left the church. Um, we had a person resign from session. I hear these stories, and that's been true of both of our denominations for a long time. The Methodists, the Methodists uh, were formed. The United Methodist uh, Church was formed in 1968 from the merger of two previous denominations, and at that time. Uh, relative to that time, we're now about 70% of the population that was part of that church then. The Presbyterians were formed more recently. They were formed also from the merger of two denominations in 1983. Um, and we are about, um, we're about uh, 56% of the population at that time. So both denominations have been shrinking. But then if you remember the, 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 the population of the country, has actually grown. They've actually shrunk not just in absolute numbers, but they've shrunk even worse as a percentage of the population. So the churches are splitting. They're disunited. People are walking out the door and they're going to a different church down the road or they're going to no church or maybe they're watching somebody on TV. But the churches are splitting. And so we ask the question, is Jesus' prayer for us granted? Has God the Father granted his prayer? So what I want to do is I want to conclude by, by or conclude this passage, um, looking at the next few verses. Jesus says, he prays that they would be one and, uh, with the purpose that the world would believe. So the question for us is, can the world look at our churches today, our own church, our denominations, the churches around our community, and believe that God sent him? So he continues, he says, the glory you have given me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, and they may become completely one. The word completely means um, that their com- their unity would be completed, that they would finish being completed. They would be completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now this may sound like he's being repetitive, um, and if you read John, sometimes it does feel that way. That's part of the effect of I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose. And the reason is because there are a lot of words. So what I wanted to do is just say, yes, if it sounds like he was repeating himself, he did. I've got it uh, laid out here as a table that may help it may be clear what's going on. Um, you see the first part is uh, verse verse 20 and 21. Um, and the second part, the second column is uh, uh, verses 22 and 23. So he says that they may be one, you and me and I and you. Uh, they also in us, the world believe and you sent me. And those have exact counterparts in the second two verses. But he adds this, this kind of, he makes kind of a sandwich out of it by adding the glory you gave, and uh, the glory you gave me, I gave them. And then at the end he says, so that in addition to knowing that you sent me, you would know, the, the world would know that you love them. So it's, it's, it's repetitive and yet he's adding a little bit to it. So it's not, it's not a pure repetition. So that's what Jesus' prayer uh, is. Um, it's, a, it's a long and complicated prayer with a lot of outcomes that if this happens, then this other purpose would be achieved by it. So, so he's praying that we would be one, but one with a purpose. And in there, he talks about glory and love, and glory and love are, are beyond kind of the scope of a single sermon. I'm going to talk about glory 
next time. But what we what is clear in um, this passage is that the glory Jesus is talking about is not some kind of a, a terrifying glory, you know, you want to shield your eyes, but a glory that is tied up with love, a glory that invites you in, that warms you, that makes you feel that makes you feel um, somehow that God cares about you. So he's talking about glory and love, and so he's added that the second time. So that is his request, and I would call that his request for unity, for Christian unity. And then he he continues. Uh, different translations put a paragraph at verse 24 or don't. The original text didn't have paragraph marks, but uh, different translators do or do not. I would put one here because he seems in my mind to begin kind of a new new thought. He says, Father, I desire... This word desire is really a strong word. Jesus is saying, this is what I want. Jesus is laying his cards on the table. He's saying, God, he's saying, uh, ultimately, Father, it's up to you. But here's what I want. And maybe that's a lesson for us. If you get nothing else out of today's uh, passage, if you say to yourself, is it okay to ask Jesus, or to ask God for what you want? Jesus did. Okay, Jesus specifically says, here's what I want. Now, we know he said, thy will be done. But Jesus prays for what he wants. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And again, this is building on that idea of glory and love. And then he concludes with this idea. He says, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. So these disciples who are standing around me now, they know you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known in the future to those future disciples, to us. He says, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So so that's that's the the whole prayer that Jesus prays about us, the prayer for our unity. And as as I said, I think it breaks into two parts. The first part talks about unity, but the second part talks about what I would say is community. This I, the first part is that we have a visible unity that the world can see. The second part is an invisible unity that is tied up with our, our connection to God, that we're, we're in God and God is in us. So unity and community. Um, and the, the second part, the community, did Jesus get what he wants? Well, Jesus gets what he wants. Um, Jesus does, you know, that's the way the world works. Jesus gets what he wants. So we believe he did get that. He does have that. He is in us. We believe when we gather in His name, He is part of us. He is He is in our in our midst, um, and that He is in us. So we believe Jesus gets that, but it's invisible. It's something we have to accept by faith. Um, it's not something we're going to see clearly until eternity. He's talking about some kind of eternal unity that isn't visible here on earth. But He also talks about unity. He talks about the unity that is visible here on earth, the unity that's visible so the whole world can see it. And so the question is, does Jesus get his prayer granted? Well, part of it, Jesus gets what he wants. But the other part, the question about unity, that's directed to us. Because we have it in our control to grant Jesus' prayer or not. He's praying for future generations of Christians. Every generation wrestles with this question. Is Jesus' prayer going to be granted in my life, in my community, in my context? And so we have it in our authority to grant Jesus' prayer or not. Do we show the world the unity that shows that God sent him? So how do we do that? Do we, do we show a unity 
based on our, our coming together and deciding that actually there should be a pope, we should all have a pope and archbishops and bishops and, and monsignors and all that stuff, however they work their government. Should we all have district superintendents the way Methodists do? Should we all have the same kind of church government? Well, there's not a word in here about government. Jesus doesn't say once, Father, I desire they all agree on the Pope. He doesn't say, Father, I desire they agree on district superintendents. Jesus doesn't say a word about how the churches are governed. How about doctrine? I didn't see a word about doctrine either. He doesn't say, Jesus, may they, Father, may they all come to an understanding of the Lord's Supper. No. Does he say, Father, if they could all get clear in their heads exactly how the Holy Spirit works in the world. He doesn't say that. What Jesus says is, may they be united in love. And so he gives, uh, earlier in this same talk, he gave this comment, uh, this command. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, people, the world, will know that you are my disciples. And then again, in case you missed it, in chapter 15, he says, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is not nearly as concerned about church government and proper doctrine as he is about us showing love for one another. So if our role is to fulfill the first part of Jesus' prayer here, if we have it in our control to show the world that Jesus was sent by the Father, then how do we do that? Well, we love one another. We love one another within our own context, and we love the churches down the street. So we love those churches. Uh, they're not competitors. They're on the same team. There's 20,000 people in Sand Lake and 17 churches, maybe 19, maybe 15, however you want to count it. There's, there's plenty of work for us all to do. We're all on the same team. And so when you drive by that church, instead of saying they've got a really weird understanding of the Virgin Mary or I do not understand speaking in tongues or I just would not feel comfortable in that church because I don't understand how they're governed, instead to say... Father, bless this church. Bless Sand Lake Baptist. Bless Gloria Day. Bless this Filipino, uh, uh, San, Filipino Bible church. Bless Diamond Baptist. Bless City Church. Bless Change Point. Bless them, Lord, because it is by us loving them that the world will know that you sent Jesus. So that's the first step. When you drive around town, when you see these churches, they're not competitors. Um, pray for them. Pray for the work that they're trying to do in our community. The, the second thing you can do is we can pray for our denominations. I said earlier it's very depressing when I think about our denominations because so many signs are, are bad. You know, they're, they're shrinking and they're fighting as they shrink. So what can we be in prayer for them? Uh, we can pray that those those fights get resolved, that people can somehow sort things out. But where they can't, there's a beautiful illustration in Scripture of what people can do when they simply can't come to an agreement about doctrine or an agreement about government. If we look at the book of Acts, there's a story where Paul and Barnabas go on missionary journey and they go all over the eastern Mediterranean and they tell all kinds of people about Jesus. And then they get back to their home base and after a while Barnabas says to Paul, Hey, let's do that again. And Paul says, not if Mark's coming. And we read in Scripture, their disagreement was so sharp that they decided to separate. That for them, the best way to love one another 
to carry out the work that God had given them was to go their separate paths. And so where we cannot find the kind of unity we would like, where we cannot find unity in terms of government or doctrine, maybe we can find a gracious and loving unity in dismissal, in saying, you know what? Not if Mark's coming with you. Can't go there. And so maybe we just need to to be a little more gracious within our denominations as as people struggle, as they try to find what to do when they come across a line that they cannot in good conscience cross, to bless them the way we bless the churches up and down these streets. Jesus prayed that our churches would be visibly united in love. That counts for churches outside of our denominations, and it counts most assuredly for churches within our denomination. This is World Communion Sunday. This is a hard thing. Jesus knew the things he asked us to do would be the hardest things that he would ever, that, that we would ever face. And so what he did before he died, shortly before he gave this prayer, is he said, I want you to celebrate this meal periodically. And we do. We celebrate the, the, the meal of communion every month. But this Sunday, we're going to celebrate it with our mindset on this unity that Jesus talks about because it is World Communion Sunday. So I invite you to be part of our service of communion. As I mentioned to the children, um, uh, in the case of children, it's up to their parents. In the case of you, if you trust Jesus or you would like to trust Jesus more, I invite you to be part of the meal we're about to to join together in. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, it's great. It is so encouraging to know that Jesus' thoughts were on us even as he was facing arrest and betrayal and crucifixion, that he thought about us. But it's disheartening as we look around and we see division and disunity to think of the ways that we have failed to live into the future that he outlined. And so, Lord, we pray you would help us to lean against him, to lean our lives against this eternal unity that is his desire, that we would see your glory and experience your love. And we pray that this meal we're about to enjoy together would be a first step toward that as we celebrate it with churches around the world today. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.